This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on wellness, created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9. Hi, I'm Janelle. I'm an excellent high kicker. Watching movies gives me anxiety, and I find donuts offensive. Hi, I'm Rachel. I don't know how to drive a stick shift. When I was a kid, I used to create lo-fi horror movies, and I eat Cheerios straight from the box. Hey, I'm Danielle. I like digging for rocks. I'm a highly sensitive person, and I make it a habit to break out of boxes. And we are your hosts of the True North Collective podcast. That's good. Yeah. I like to dig for rocks. That's my favorite. I'm a highly sensitive person too. I figured. Yeah. The the first time my mom gave me the book, um, I was like, fuck you, mom. I was so mad. I was like, don't you dare tell me that I'm a sensitive person. And then I realized how like amazing it is. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, I'm one too. I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. Wait, is this is a book called highly, what is it? Yeah. Well, I'll let you explain it. Yeah, there's this woman named Elaine Aaron, and um, she wrote this whole book, and there's like a series on um, something called like a highly sensitive person, and there's like 20% of people um, are considered like highly sensitive people, and it just explains how our society is not really kind of set up for, to understand highly sensitive people, and so she just likes to bring light to the, um, to what it is. Yeah. So that parents can understand how to like raise a child who's super sensitive. Yeah. There's like, I I think there's a quiz you can take in it too. Yeah. And it manifests in different ways. Like my mom has like really struggles with any sort of crowd because she's constantly Mm -hmm. taking in the stimulus. Whereas for me, I have there for whatever reason, I can usually handle crowds and, and things like that to a certain point. Um, and so my sensitivity comes out in, in other ways, but I don't know. It's just nice to be like, oh, I'm not crazy. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> There's weird. other There's people like with me. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to add it to my list. Rachel, link it in the show notes. Yes. So yes, I can click that. on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, what time I want to hear you? more about the the box thing, breaking out of boxes, like metaphorical <laughs> boxes. Ooh, that's the puppy I'm watching. You're <laughs> yeah. not happy. <laughs> metaphorical boxes or real boxes. All of it. <laughs> What I was referring to there was metaphorical boxes. Um, yeah, since I was like a kid, I remember my one of my cousins literally put me in a box, like a cardboard box. Because <laughs> that's what I was envisioning. I was like a refrigerator box. So both. <laughs> like, are and you an was... escape artist? <laughs> <laughs> both. Um, and I, yeah, I was like a kid and I could, I, I wasn't super strong and he held me in that box oh and gosh. I remember, like he thought he was, he was just playing and Ooh, I just remember that memory so well. And I just, I literally like freaked out, like hardcore panic attack. And I just felt like that was, you know, a metaphor for something greater. And, um, the way I've kind of lived my life especially over the last eight years is uh, a way of just like waking up to the box, whether it's a society that I was born in or a way of thinking that I was unaware of or unconscious of. So making it a habit to like, A, be aware 
of the box that I'm, that I'm in and that I have allowed myself to be in and then freeing myself from it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Thank yeah. you for elaborating. Cause yeah. I was definitely picturing a big refrigerator box <laughs> and you like getting yourself out of it. I was like, cool. I'm into it. <laughs> I love the invitation in that too, of not just, I think sometimes I have like a really strong rebel instinct for the sake of having a rebel instinct, but the invitation of what is the box that's actually here that I'm breaking out of and where did it come from and what was my part in it? Um, because sometimes I think that I'm trying to rebel against a box that I actually want. And then I'm like, oh, if like, if I paid attention to that, I'd probably be like, no, wait, sweet thing. This is actually the box you want. So (laughs) it's okay. Yeah. And then also creating the boxes that you want to live in, because Mm -hmm. whether we like it or not on this earth, we do have certain roles and expectations and responsibilities. Um, and so my goal is to consciously create what worlds I want to be involved in and, and how I want to live my life. What boxes do I want to live in consciously? Yeah. Too bad you, my brother doesn't live here. He, we were, we recorded with him last year and that's like his whole thing that he's living into right now is like, we physically create our realities and what reality do I want to live in? And how do I make sure that I'm tapped into that every single day as much as possible? So. <sighs> Good reminder. Yeah. It's Friday the 13th, people. I know, Friday the 13th. What does that mean to you, Janelle? I actually have generally pretty good days on Friday the 13th. So do I. Since I was younger, people, they're worried and I've always in my mind been like, today's going to be actually a really good day. I normally have good things happen today. One, it's Friday. Mm -hmm. Can you ever go wrong on a Friday? No. And two, I don't know. It's like opposite day. So I like Friday the 13th. How about you guys? I have this thing about holidays where even if I have to work on the holiday, it's just like the world seems to like chill the fuck out a little bit to me. I don't know. It just feels like people are like in a different headspace and... I put Friday the 13th as like a holiday for me because I love horror movies and I love all things strange. So, so yeah, I, lo- I really like it. I really love it too. And the fact that it's a full moon, I feel like it gives it like an extra power punch. Yeah. Um, I watched a video recently on Friday the 13th and again, I've watched it one time. I'm not an expert on this, <laughs> but, uh, what the video said is that like in ancient times, it used to be it was known and revered as like the day of the goddess. Mm. And then when the patriarchy kind of came in, yeah, (gasps) it was spun into something that was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Unlucky. Unlucky (laughs) or evil. Yeah. Yeah, But it was originally, I love that. The day of the goddess. I believe it has something to do with Freya, which was... Oh my gosh, my mom almost named me Freya. Oh, interesting. Oh. That's really crazy. I like that. No wonder why it's such a good day. Everyone else around me, I'm like, mm, I'm a goddess. It's fine. Maybe I need to look up Freya. That's really wild. <laughs> um, Janelle, how are you holding up, up out there in the early morning? I'm actually good now. It's I wake up normally before 6 a.m. anyway. I think you do better in the mornings than at night. I think I probably do too. I, I'm actually more of a morning person, I've decided, and especially living here when everything closes at 9 p.m. Oh my gosh, you did say I, especially. Uh, especially. Especially. 
before. We've been, <laughs> somebody called her out for saying especially <laughs> and, and in a profi- professional setting. She's like, which one fucking is it? I was like, it's for sure especially. <laughs> okay, sorry. Continue. Sorry. That. You feel like, but you know when you don't realize you're saying yeah. it though? And then they told me that and I'm like, wait, which one is it? Because I think I am saying especially, but apparently I'm not. <laughs> it's fine. That's so funny. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying now. I'm um, so You're good so shook by that comment. Morn- oh yeah, I, just, I think I'm better in the morning. <laughs> oh my god! I think I had more to that, but yeah. I'm especially shook now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I just could not do it. No, it's good. Call me out on it. That's what I told them too. I was like, fine, just tell me when I'm saying it wrong, then I'll start saying it right. <laughs> You're like a very intelligent person. So I think that when I've heard it before, when I've heard you say it before, I just don't give it any like more thought because I just know whatever. (laughs) That's just just how you're saying it. Who cares? I say a lot of things sort of odd though. I I don't, I don't know who taught me to speak, but (laughs) I found that in my life. Like maybe, I don't know where all this came from. It's so funny. All right. I'm going to introduce Danielle. Yeah. yeah. So I met Danielle, I think I went to one of your classes. Yeah, probably. And I was just like, I just loved your energy. It's so grounded. It's full, like full-bodied grounded energy. It's really awesome for me to be around. And um, when I asked you what you did, I was like, holy shit, I need to talk to you more. So today we have Danielle Thornton on, also known as Ada. She's the owner of Starana. She's an end-of-life doula, a wellness care doula, a Reiki practitioner, somatic body worker, and yoga and meditation teacher. So she's all the things. Um, And for me, when I was connecting with her, the death doula piece was so fascinating to me because as people who listen know, I had cancer when I was 14 and 15. And so that wrestling with death, there really wasn't a space to have that conversation at all. And the idea that there is now space in the world for somebody to come and have that dialogue and create space for that dialogue. And because we're all dying, it's going to happen to all of us. (laughs) And yet we're so afraid of it um, as a society. And there's not really a chance to unpack it until we're butted up right against it. And then even then, um, most people don't really know what to do with it. So I just think what you do is absolutely wonderful and beautiful. And I've saved a lot of my questions from our previous engagement so that I could like pick your brain here. So welcome and thank you for being here. Yes, welcome. Thank you I'm for so having excited. me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Oh, okay. Um, well, I feel like I've, I've been an end-of-life doula kind of my whole life. I've always, um, since I was a kid, I would volunteer at nursing homes, and then um, I got older and started and took a job um, for a wound care company, and that job required me going to, like, multiple nursing homes a day. Um, so, you know, not to say that nursing homes equal dying, but people who are typically in nursing homes are closer to death, right? There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of dying that goes on when people are older. Um, and so I would, you know, take to people who were residents in these nursing homes and kind of befriend them until it was, until they were gone really. Um, and so 
how did I get to where I am today? I'll give you the expedited version. So I was laid off in 2014. That was like the very beginning of a whole um, inside journey um, inside myself. I went to uh, Bali to my first yoga teacher training and there we really dove deep into the philosophies um, behind yoga, the meditation aspects, um, as well as we would have these really long shavasanas. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the word shavasana or, or what it kind of translate to in Eng- translates to in English, but it um, translates to corpse pose. And so that was kind of the first time <laughs> that I was like, what? Corpse pose? Okay. Um, but it was there that I really kind of had the download, I would say, that death and, and practicing death and, and connecting to our own um, physical mortality can be like the biggest key to living a full life. I have chills. It's really cool. Yeah. So I, I, I wasn't working directly with um, death in a professional sense for like a few years later. Um, a few years ago, two women within the same week, I was really kind of like asking like, what, what am I here to do? Like, how can I really fulfill, um, how can I really use the gifts that, that I have, that we all have, right? It's just like, how are we going to use these gifts in a professional setting? And um, I was really kind of grappling with that. And about a month later, I had two different women literally just kind of drop in to my life who were both dying, who both had hired me as their private um, like yoga meditation instructor. One of the women I like cooked healthy food for and um, helped her and her son because she had stage four cancer and her health was declining and she just, she needed help. Um, And so I took on both these jobs and and worked with these women until um, they passed on basically. And, and even though I wasn't like quote unquote trained as an end of life doula at that point, it felt that I was doing that. Um, I doula them, you know? So. And what does doula refer to exactly? So it's an ancient, um, Greek word and a doula is someone, a non-medical professional who helps holistically care for um, someone who is going through, whether it be childbirth. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard doulas in in the area of childbirth. Or a big medical, um, or maybe a health crisis. And also at end of life. Yeah. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. It's, it is, I just... I'd only heard of doula referred to in the birthing process. And so I wasn't sure if doula was like a common phrase for something beyond that, which once I met you, I was like, it must be. (laughs) Yeah. And it's something that brand new, like, you know, people who are in the medical field and even in like hospice and palliative care, um, they don't even know what it is. It's like, Mm. it's a very new, um, it's not a new profession. It's like yeah. a really ancient profession, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's starting to kind of uh, become more well known, and I feel like we're on that 
crest of the wave where it's it's coming in and there's more and more that are popping up um, and more and more awareness around it. Yeah. And I think that the more our society, um, you know, starts to evolve in that way, uh, more doulas will be coming forward. Yeah. Hopefully. I always found, well, and I guess I'll ask you, have you had or had you had brushes with death? I just assumed that anyone who would actually talk about death would have had to have that. But now that you're sitting here in, fr- in front of me, I'm like, maybe not. Like you could have just been yeah. like. <laughs> well, in, in my childhood, I, I did have a brush where I almost drowned. Okay. And I was in my aunt's pool and no one saw me but my grandmother who could not speak because she had a stroke. No. So I, and I had like these heavy jeans and tennis shoes on. It was in the winter and I could swim, but I wasn't strong enough to like swim with the heavy yeah. stuff on me. So oh my gosh. I guess you could say that, that was a brush with death mm-hmm. um, for sure. And after I mean, that, obviously you didn't die, but can I, like, what happened? <laughs> I know. That, I'm like, <laughs> well, finally my grandmother started making such a, you know, like waving her hands around and really trying to get everyone's attention that um, finally she got either my mom or dad's attention and they came out and, and okay. got me out of the pool. Basically. Oh my gosh. Did you have any, like, insights after that or was it just like, it was a traumatic experience or maybe it wasn't even, maybe you wouldn't call it that? Yeah, I'm sure on some level it was a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been, like, one of my biggest fears has been a fear of, like, drowning. I went snorkeling, like, 10 years ago uh-huh. in the Bahamas and almost had, like, an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, so, I can understand why. <laughs> but I love water at the same time. Ah. I love swimming and I love water. So it's not that I don't enjoy it. There's just like this deep-seated fear. Yeah. We talk a lot, or we have been talking a lot about the contrast of extremes that exist within all of us. And so like, as I'm even asking you these questions about death, just because you are in a profession that creates the space for these conversations doesn't mean that you can't also experience the fear around it too, as well as the you know, like the good feels around it or the productive feels. I don't know how you would call it, but you can, like, I'm realizing as I'm talking to you, like Rachel, she can also experience like all the things the rest of us do, even though this is like your profession. So yeah. Yeah. And our brains are literally wired for survival. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why we have anxiety attacks when we can't breathe Mm -hmm. or when we can't breathe, it can um, spark an anxiety attack. Yeah. It's just, it's the way that we're wired. And so, of course, I mean, I would like to say that I, um, I would hope that I'm kind of easing into maybe um, less fear <laughs> around it and a more of a normalcy. I would like to say that I, my, my goal within my life and then within everyone's lives around me and the people that I work with is not to take fear from from it because there is an element of being scared of the unknown because we don't know what it's like. It's unknown. Until we're there, we don't know what it's going to be like. And we How might not you... even know. We can speculate what, what happens afterwards. But we don't know until we experience it. So I think it's really important to have some sort of humility around it um, and embracing that we what we don't know. And just kind of like making peace with that. 
and uh, yeah, my, my only goal is just to try to um, normalize death because it's normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. <laughs> we constantly pretend like it's not happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening right now. Yep, I know. Which is crazy. I feel like there's a lot of parallels in that even to how people live their life because right as you're mentioning it's death is normal it's just another part of life and the I would be curious about the coaching that you bring to people around acceptance and accepting the unknown what what do you feel like people really connect with or helps them I mean essentially leave in peace that maybe even applies to how people are living their life when they're hopefully further away from death Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, everyone is different, and so I try to meet people with where they're at. Um, That's where I use the tools that are in my toolbox of um, meditation practice, breathing practices, um, Reiki, somatic body work. So, again, I try to meet people with where they're at. So sometimes it's a simple breathing practice of while we're anxious, while we're facing death, while we're, we have all this fear coming up, maybe regret is coming up and life review and, and these things. Um, if we can really uh, practice being present with whatever is coming up and then connecting to a sense of just pure acceptance for whatever is, and self-compassion and love and forgiveness that's really I find that those are really powerful tools to help people come to a place where they're more at peace with what's happening and that yoga meditation breath work reiki all these things that I'm doing with them are just are they're not they're um tools they're like little portals to little segues to help people navigate those waters so for instance when we're practicing letting go think about your breath okay so each moment we have an opportunity to practice growth and expansion and and breathe in life as we inhale And as we exhale, we have an opportunity to practice letting go, surrender. And notice what happens. If if you ever do any type of pranayama or breathing practices, notice your trigger at the pause at the end of your exhale. If you pause there long enough, there will be some sort of, some people might have a panic attack. So we kind of have to really be careful with that and not hold it for too long. But if we, can, if we can kind of warm up to getting comfortable with that pause at the end of our exhales, I find that can be a really powerful practice to soften into the waters of, of letting go. Yeah, I just tried it and my heart started to like flicker. Like it was like, mm-hmm. oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, anytime I meditate or do yoga and they make you pause and not breathe at the bottom, I struggle, which I can definitely imagine and see how people feel that way. 
I guide meditation and I did a breathwork one and I'm just like new to the breathwork like world and afterwards I asked everybody how was that and they were like some people were like that was amazing and then some people were like that was absolutely terrible I just I didn't like it because of that because we did we did the box breath where you like hold at the bottom and they were just like I had anxiety it made me uncomfortable and I was like okay and not as if like you're terrible and we're never going to come back but just the experience was jarring for them um and your invitation of playing with that and allowing that an okayness in that so that you can get more comfortable with it is really, um, really beautiful. I Do you know John Paul Crimi? No, He's a breathwork guy out in Oregon. And he, I've been like watching a ton of videos on this. Um, and just because I'm really curious about how much we actually how much medicine we actually have through our breath and he says that when you first start practicing this type of breathing that he does your body will actually start to like crank not cramp up but like he calls it lobster hands and like your toes will tighten and that it's really normal and when I mean obviously listen to yourself like if it feels like you've gone too far start breathing out of your nose again because it's a mouth breath exercise but it's the whole point is recognizing at what point do you start to tighten and can you sit with it just a little longer and over time you'll be able to do the breath longer and longer without that tightening Mm -hmm. and you'll be able to actually experience a calm in it versus your body being like (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like it's definitely um a practice of you know, not forcing yourself to hold the breath at the end of your exhale. And I've had that tightening thing happen in my body through breath work. And what I found is that when that tightening happens, it's resistance, right? To, To some degree. And it's like through that resistance that whether we're resisting whatever it is, that that resistance can be like an arrow pointing towards what we need to, to pay attention to. Yeah. And how can we soften into that resistance and allow it to be? Oftentimes we, we, we come across resistance and we, we mirror resistance to resistance. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And if we can just kind of allow ourselves to be present, I think that can really be a beautiful breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, I've been sitting in... A lot of my own, it, the last month has been a lot. Like I feel like 2019 is just like a year of growth for me. And particularly in the last month, I feel like it's just been supercharged of things that I am seeing a mirror of or I'm being asked to step through or step into. And that idea of, I mean, even me who like sits and talks about this stuff and tries to live it as much as possible I can see see resistance and meet it with resistance and that invitation to allow it to flow allow if it's tears if it's a scream like allow the energy to flow versus holding on so tightly to it and trying to control it or force it to be something even forcing it to be productive is like forcing it to be something (laughs) and I've been playing with that a lot so I'm kind of just breathing it in right now this speaks to me I'd be curious in your profession to, for yourself, even coping with 
loss because essentially every person you probably work with and you're going to lose them and how you manage that emotionally. The way I feel, and this is just me personally, I'm not speaking this as um, universal truth. I don't feel like I lose them. I feel like maybe we, they're not here in physical form anymore. Um, I can't hug them. I can't touch them, but I don't, I don't see it as much as a loss. And I think maybe that's what helps me um, move through it. Obviously, I'll feel grief and pain, mm -hmm. um, especially if the family or whether it's someone in my family or someone else's family that I'm working with. I, you know, it's hard to to see people suffering. It's it's not easy. Um, and so on the flip side of that coin, when our human emotions come in and I'm feeling someone's suffering, I'm feeling my own suffering, whatever it is, sometimes it's hard to distinguish yours from someone else's. Um, I feel like that's when it's really important for me to go back to my practices for myself of um, spending alone time, grounding, just really upping the self-care, so to speak. Um, I find that being in this profession, if there's not a baseline of self-care, it could, it could really be a struggle. And so, um, yeah, just upping the self-care. And I love your continual reminder just by what you're speaking to that just because you have the tools and you know the steps does like it still takes uh, self-accountability on your part mm -hmm. to acknowledge that as a human I'm still going to feel the feelings and just because I have a belief that allows me to move through loss in a way that doesn't feel like loss there's still going to be you know human emotions attached to all of the experiences um yeah of course yeah I had a client ask me recently she said don't you get exhausted of feeling other people's emotions and it was actually really clear to me it's actually exhausting to not feel mm -hmm. so because I did that for lots of years like numb it, trying to numbing myself, trying to numb myself out from feeling my own suffering, feeling the pain of others around me, really being open to feeling empathy. Yeah. I mean, just pure empathy. And I think it's just, you spend more energy trying to not feel and to block the feeling out than just to let that feeling come through. And for me, that's where, where my meditation practice is really helpful because I think that we can simultaneously connect to the part of us that's always calm and peaceful and like real steady and open. It's like this background place within us that we all have that can hold a space for these strong emotions that mm -hmm. we aren't those emotions, but it is part of this human experience. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I love, I love that. I talk a lot about how I numbed out after being sick for a long time and it wasn't, it was, it was hard. It, I mean, I did it, I numbed out because I didn't want to deal with any of it, but it was like the more that I can just allow myself if I'm, I work with a sound healer here. And a lot of times in our sessions, she will invite me because I'm very, 
I have like a very charismatic, loud personality. And so she'll be like, if you need to scream, we will scream together. And I'm like, okay. And then we're in there. And it's true. Like for me to process those emotions and not just allow it to sit there, which is what I did for so long. And then I can move through things pretty quickly if I just am like, "Ah!" (laughs) and I feel crazy, but I feel way better. And so I'm like, I'd rather feel better. And so I'm going to allow myself to, to go there. Totally. And the other side of that is Uh, one of my teachers once told me is that when we're feeling, when we're open to feeling our own feelings, our own emotions, we're also opening ourselves to feel deeper joy Mm. and peace and maybe love. Yeah. So when we cut our, when we, when we close our hearts to not feeling or try to cut ourselves off, we're also actually closing our hearts to what we want to connection. Yeah. I need more of you in my life is really like this whole, I'm just taking notes over here. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rachel, I'm just curious, obviously through cancer, you've experienced some, some face to face with potential death, but have you had a lot of people in your life that have passed away or do you have a lot of experience with death? Um, I mean, I've had grandparents pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. I, I mean, there was like people. I went to a really big high school, so I had. I think. I I think I'm more like accepting is a weird word because I feel like I accept the inevitability of it more. Like I accept the reality of it more. I don't have blinders on. I don't feel like I can live forever in this physical form, and so I've wrestled with that, but. In terms of like a person, I mean, right now, one of my favorite people, he's my mentor. He's about 65. He had like a stroke out of the blue. Um, It was unavoidable. It just like they couldn't have done anything about it. And he is in a nursing home right now trying to learn how to talk again. I'm going to go visit him in California when I'm there. But it's very possible that he won't recognize me and stuff. And I think that that's been the first experience with somebody that I was that close with who I would like call almost every week as a mentor to be like I'm going through this thing and like blah 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 and now I can't I can't talk to him and so it feels different than just the concept um, which I feel like I've been wrestling with the concept for most of my life so I'm like okay with that but then the other place too like I have a pretty big fear around my mom not being physically present in the world and I mean the people a a lot of people close to me but I feel like my mom knows so like she's just seen all the facets of me and so I actually started talking to her I saw her go through the experience of losing her dad and it was really really traumatic for her um, because he wasn't he started to have dementia through the process um, of it because of the bacterial infections that he ended up getting in the hospital and then because of that he couldn't think clearly and a whole bunch of other stuff happened and so she struggled with that separation and that departure for years and from that I started having a dialogue with her about how she has processed losing her parents because I really wasn't sure what that would look like for me with having her 
be gone. And so we just are in dialogue. Like we talk about her dying and we talk about my fears around it. And we talk about who she, her intention for who she wants to be when she transitions. And that has brought a lot of calm to my heart. Um, Just not because I have answers per se, but because I've been able to vocalize what we intend our how, how we intend our relationship to shift um when she's not physically here so i don't know i, I don't know if i really answered your question but <laughs> oh, you did that's actually i feel like that's a good conversation because i think a lot of people just deflect too or they don't want to talk about it and then it happens and it's more jarring than um versus yeah feeling like it's inevitable i mean i've been lucky enough that because because I'm a really open person and I ask really hard questions <laughs> and I'm curious, mm-hmm. I'm super curious. I, a lot of times people will be like, not audibly, but they'll be like, yeah, we're not going there. And then I just know I'm like, okay, cool. And, um, but lately, you know, another mentor that I have, she lost her dad. Um, and so I, would pick her brain about it and be like, how did you get through that? And we would have conversations about the difference between her siblings and their relationship with losing a father to how she handled it. And she actually said like, it was a beautiful experience for her because of like how she had, um, what she had done while he was still alive and you know, how she had had conversations or done what she needed to, to be ready. And so I think I also took from that, um, the importance of like stepping into the conversation. And it's nice to know that I have her to go to as well of like, Hey, I'm scared of this. And I know that she's gone through a version of the process. And so she is an open space for me to explore too. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. How about you? Yeah, I mean, that's why I asked. I, same here. I've only had grandparents that have passed away, really, that have been close to me. And um, other than that, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate to have everyone, you know, still be here with me in my life. And and so it, death is something that I'm obviously aware of, but I don't think I've actually explored it probably to the depths that both of you have have based off of this conversation. And I think a lot, you know, your parents get older too and being further away from them, you think about that more and, you know, people aren't going to be here forever, but still been very fortunate to not have to experience it too much. Yeah. I mean, even just learning about the long-term effects of cancer treatments. um, I mean, 45 is usually the age that they say, 95%, I think I've said this stat on here before, but 95% of people who have had the types of treatments that I did at the age that I was will have a significant health-related situation, including death. And so sometimes I see myself now looking at, like my grandmother is 102. That's amazing. (laughs) And like when I talk to her, she's like, really, I'm ready and I don't know why I must still have lessons to learn. I don't know how this is possible. God, I'm ready. Like, <laughs> wow. Um, and and I look at her and I'm like, oh, will I 
well, I, I will, I could people get to that point. Like we see ourselves as we are, but like we will be that we aren't different from that. We are that. And that's so wild. And then I have the layer too of like, Oh shit. What if I don't get to experience that? Cause I actually want to experience that. I want to know, I want to be the old wise woman that's like, sees the younger ones running around and like, I, I would be honored to experience that. And so with that comes the acknowledgement and the appreciation of coming closer to the end, which is really wild. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I think you know, this makes me think about um, also meditating on your own death. Mm. You know, I mean, in a lot of ancient traditions, spiritual traditions, the um, death meditation is a big part of it. What does that mean exactly? Death meditation? Yeah. Um, And my knowledge of it is really just meditating on the impermanence of this physical body. Mm really I mean I think it can be as simple as that yeah and just not even you don't even have to call it meditation but maybe thinking about death a few times a day or a week and thinking about your own death and what feelings does that bring up yeah and also I think a good indicator too is so and with my business to I'm not just working with dying I'm also working with people who might get like a um, might have like a health Um, crisis or also people who are just going through major life transitions maybe that be divorce or spiritual awakening Mm -hmm. or um, whatever it is that each what I find is that each life transition can be a really profound way to practice death Mm -hmm. because death is just the final transition in this life and so how do we react when we maybe lose a job or we the ending of a relationship or maybe even we move houses I mean whatever it is we all experience major transitions in our life and so I think that that transitions can be really powerful gateways to transformation yeah when you experienced your in 2014 do you feel like you had that connection back then Totally not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a panic like, attack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, however, it sounds like maybe through that experience, you've gleaned the, that insight. Totally. Yeah. And it was. I lost my job and also a really significant relationship um, that same year. It was like we had been together for six years. But to, to have to let that relationship go in order for um, us to be able to go the way of the path of life that we each individually need to go, maybe just not together, that was really tough. Um, and then also the losing of the job. I mean, it, it sparked so much fear in me, like fear of like basic survival, you know, <laughs> like how am I going to make money? How am I going to pay rent? And eat even though in my corest core I know that like I will be okay I have a supportive 
family and friend group that thank God, like I know that I will be okay no matter what. But it's still, you know, it still sparks about all this fear. And I had, and I'm still working through, um, a lot of those chunks I think have, have moved, but, um, fear around like, like how am I going to survive and make money in this world? And because I, I don't like to be quote unquote dependent and that means financially dependent. Um, I, you know, so that was a big one for me and the unconscious, um, belief systems around lack and abundance. Mm -hmm. I've been really kind of uncovering all of that over the last several years. Yeah. And, and the essence of that is actually the same to your point of at the end of your life. Do you approach that from a place of lack and all the things that are going to be gone or from a place of abundance? and what's maybe to come and what's to, so the form of it that you wrestled with or maybe still are is that dependence on the financial piece, but you know, the dependence on the physical body or the dependence on whatever. Um, I love the invitation of being able to take these things that we experience on the daily and pay attention to how we are actually living into them and invite ourselves to use them as a way to practice the inevitable like the inevitability of life really and not that like I don't know I think we make death as like the inevitable ultimate thing and really what you said earlier it's like we're we're doing it all the time it's happening all the time we don't have to make it um yes it's a different iteration it's a one-time iteration (laughs) um (laughs) but we have an ability to um pull it, pull it closer and allow it to not be such a, um, huge ass hurdle at the end. Yeah. And I think, um, when we talk about, you know, the consciousness of lack and the consciousness of abundance, the bridge between those two, in my experience, in my life, and then also watching other people who are experiencing the physical death Mm -hmm. is, faith and trust and I'm not talking about blind faith where you're supposed to believe what some authority figure tells you to believe because they tell you you need to have faith I don't subscribe to that um I'm talking personal like experiential Mm -hmm. faith knowing that you really are always supported and loved no matter what and I think the more that we can experience that in our life and grow that relationship, so to speak, um, it won't be so far in when it comes time for us to, to die. Yeah. I call it a trust muscle. That's a trust muscle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love I'm that. I'm just curious. And when you both think of death, I, I know none of us know, but what do you think happens after we die? <laughs> people love that question question, but I don't know everyone has such a different and unique perspective and I always think it's kind of fun even though we never really know (laughs) I think an infinite amount of things could could happen I mean 
I, I do believe that this universe, that, that God, that this experience of life is truly infinite. And I think that even after life, it's even more infinite because we no longer have a body. So I just really like to take the place of just like, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm just going to, I'm just going to rely on infinite possibility. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, I'll just keep it at that. Yeah. I am so curious about this question and I, I also will like ask it in other, you know, different ways, but the one, the answer that I got that has stuck with me the longest, I had I had a conversation with my brother and I, in that moment was like feeling an intense amount of anxiety over the fact that at some point when this physical life ended for both of us, that I wouldn't ever be connected to him again. Mm. And it was very heartbreaking for me. Like I was really struggling with it. And he said to me, right, <laughs> it's all energy. And at the end of all of this, we all are like, we don't have the physical, but we, within the energy particles, like we will just always be connected. We won't have to be separate entities. We will just be. And so we'll always be connected. And if we ever want it, it's like, if you remove the physical piece, the essence that exists there of love between us is there and can transcend space and time. And I was just like, I immediately calmed down and I was like, whatever the fuck it is, I am so into that being like the thing that I just like visualize at this point. Um, and knowing that in this like plasma cosmos of whatever it is, <laughs> um, that it'll just, it'll be a forever connection to love between the things and the essence of the beings that are important to our souls. Um, so yeah. That's that's the answer I'll give you today. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's a pretty damn good one. I like it. What about you? You know, it's funny because whenever I think about it, it when I think about my own death and where I'm going to be versus other people, I'm I'm not sure if it's the same response. Um, in our family, we we sort of have this I don't know fun symbol of my my oma and opa, my grandma and grandpa. Um, who passed away and we always say that they show up again as red cardinals. And it seems like whenever we're together as a family doing something, we always see a pair of red cardinals watching over us. Um, so in that capacity, whether or not it's true and it, or it's just bringing us comfort, I like to imagine that, you know, we're, we are that energy, but we can still show up for the people we love while they're going through their, you know, journey on this earth. But as I get, older for myself when I envision what's going to happen. I think I've more connected with the idea that we live multiple lives and that our soul, we, we leave the, our body, but our soul kind of goes through this pattern of experiencing things and learning all the lessons that it needs to learn until not that it's ever complete, but until it gets to a place of maybe, maybe it is full acceptance and then you're sort of just energy. I don't know. So I, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I went to this uh, workshop, energy workshop and where we were learning about energetic boundaries and everybody had kind of a different take on, 
on it, on energetic boundaries and, you know, what happens when we use them and how do we, and we were even like, this one guy was like, well, when I release what doesn't serve me, it has to come out of my left hand. And then this other person was like, oh, I don't, it doesn't have to be that for me. And so then we were all like, well, what's the right way then? And like, how do we know when all this stuff? And he was like, all of them are right. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, you're right. Shit. <laughs> totally. I was like, that's so awesome. Totally. I was like, you're right. All of them are right. And so I think it can be really easy in our linear training mm-hmm. and our linear existence here to, um, you know, want to have to choose. Like, am I coming back as a cardinal or am I reincarnating <laughs> or am I becoming a plasmic mass of love? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to heaven? Yeah. Um, exactly. But then I also believe in ghosts. And yeah. Totally. I'm like, I yeah. don't know who becomes a ghost. I don't know. Yeah. And I tell my mom all the time, I'm like, you better fucking come back as and like show up as a flower on a, in a rock that shouldn't have come out of one so that I know that you're still like guiding me. And she was like, okay, I will. Um, you know? And like, I actually, I've started to do that more, the more that I'm open to like, spirit guides for like lack of a better terminology but um I I hope that the I hope my mentor who is you know recovering from this stroke when he passes I I my dad actually the other night because I was like I really want to see him and my dad got choked up which he doesn't usually get it was very I was like oh my gosh and he's like you are um he might not recognize you and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, what if I never talked to him again? And my dad's like, what would he say to you? And I was like, and I knew exactly in that moment, I already knew the advice he would give me. And that, that level of guidance, um, I love that the people around us can have that profound impact as guides, wherever they are, whenever they are, um, whether they're living or they're dead in the physical form. Totally. And I think these guides can come, can come to us in our dream spaces. If you ever like dreamed about dead loved ones Mm -hmm. or, you know, with a bird, my grandmother comes back as a ladybug. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, I think that they can always be with us, guiding us, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, The other thing that I wanted to elaborate on when y'all were talking about like what happens one thing that I've seen that happens really often, like right before death or even like days before death, is that the physical body, like our, the filters, the veil starts to get really thin between this 3D reality of Earth and the other side. And people, I mean, start to see and talk to dead loved ones. Stop to angels they see light really? they will open their arms into light i mean it's really oh my profound. gosh i just got the chills like all over yeah and and it's common i mean it's really common no matter no matter the religious belief system mm-hmm. i i've seen you know people of all cross of all religions that have experienced something that speaks to them wow that's profound so um yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll say that, that, that I think that the veil does get really thin and that there is a transition period where maybe we're both in this world and in another world. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Do you? My, my grandpa actually had that too when he, he almost died and 
he saw, you know, the exactly what a lot of people describe, like the the light, and he saw, you know, past people from his life that had passed away, and and he ended up not, and actually living for a couple of years longer. But he, you know, that was a pretty impactful experience for him too. And I remember him describing it, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What were you going to say, Rachel, though? Oh, I was going to say, are you with them while they are transit, like when they transition? Or is it? It, it depends. Okay. Um, if the family wants me there while they're transitioning, um, I'm not like on call yeah. necessarily, but we can try to make my visits more frequent mm-hmm. as um, they get closer. Okay. And it's hard to say, predict when someone's going to die, even if it's like really clear that it's going to be soon. I mean, it could be in the middle of the night. Usually people decide, like my grandmother, she died once everyone, all the women in our family were together in a room. She, my my sister was like traveling from the Bahamas and we thought she was going to pass before then. No, she waited (laughs) till my sister got back. She waited till everyone was in the room with her before she like oh yeah um so you know it's hard to predict when people are going to die so uh, but i have been with people as they were dying mm-hmm. um yeah i have been and yeah that's all i'll say about that yeah it's i have heard that before too where it's like and with the italian grandmother who's 102 she has wanted to be a great grandmother for ever and all of us all of us grandkids keep screwing her over (laughs) her words and um not giving her her great grandkids and my brother is about him and his girlfriend are about to have a child in december and so i've been really curious if this is i know uh uh-huh i'm like Mm -hmm. i think she's waiting for this and then i think yeah yeah and i it's really cool because there would have been a time in my life seeing her not be physically in my life would have been very hard. And I feel like when that happened, I also, again, started asking her questions about her life and like what was important. And when I'd spend time with her, I'd actually ask her things about love and hate and all of it. And, and so I feel like I've gotten a way better understanding of who she is and she's lived this really interesting, fruitful life and when she um, passes, it's going to just be, it's going to be beautiful, a beautiful culmination of a life. Um, yeah. You, sorry, you saying that really reminds me of like also the way our society um, is like separate. Not, not everyone. Some families are different, but separate from elders. Mm-hmm. And like one of, I don't know how this will manifest itself, but. I hope to somehow help my community integrate the wisdom of elders in a cross-generational setting. I love that. Yes. It's so important and it's such a missing piece. I know. Because I think at the root of it, we don't, the elders make us uncomfortable because it reminds us of our own mortality. Yep. And we're a youth and vanity obsessed culture. I mean, mm-hmm. we just are. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I hope that that can be a piece to really healing um, ourselves as a society, just to kind of bring in that wisdom. Yeah, I think about that a lot too. I'm always like, I wish that we had more of a culture 
where I could learn. I think that's why I get, I'm drawn to like, you know, I have a mentor who I would actually say is one of my really, really close friends, um, who's 65, a 65 year old man, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I mean, you learn, they, you learn so much from like, they've experienced so much and the way I have found, and it could be my own, just like how I show up too, but they have an openness to not trying to force me to do it. They'll, they'll share their own experience from a place of like, I don't know, this is how it was for me, but not because I need to succumb to that way. It's like an invitation of like, what do you want? You, how do you want to experience it? And, and I love it. Um, my mom has had, a, I would say a minor obsession with, um, getting older and, um, why can't I think of it? Not retirement communities, um, nursing homes. And so there's a person that you probably know the name of, but there, she's read all these books and all these studies because she wants to make sure that as she gets older, she's not just like forgotten in this society or like left in, to rot in some place, which is what a lot of these nursing homes from what she had dug into seemed like and my Italian grandma was like don't fucking put me in one of those places I will die so instead she's like barely can see barely can walk and my parents were trying to get her to go into some sort of assisted facility so that because it is scary you go into her her house and like there is old stuff and fire hazards everywhere and she runs into things and and she's 102 and she fucking figured it out somehow. And so at a certain point, my mom was like, you know, I have to respect that I wouldn't want to be put into some place where I was just forgotten either. And I would rather muscle my way through knowing that by having to put out that effort to take care of myself might actually like keep me, keep my brain working, keep my muscles working, keep me on my toes. And, and so she's been really fascinated with, she was in interior designs of large corporations and I would love for her to do something where there she was a part of an ideation or a creation of a different modeling for what's possible um whether that's the inclusion of animals and pets or just something that keeps people stimulated and doesn't have to be like you're getting sentenced to like death jail Yes, I hope one day to be able to like either co or help facilitate or or create. I mean, I don't. It doesn't matter what it is. My role in it. I just want to be able to help in some kind of way, creating some sort of living situation for people. That you know, there are nursing homes, there are assisted living facilities, and there are some really nice ones. Mm-hmm. They're really expensive. Yep. <laughs> and. Uh, and I'm not trying to dog on these facilities. I'm not trying to, to judge them either. I mean, I think that everyone's doing the best that they can from the consciousness that they're at. Um, but they're, they're like, um, a lot of them can be, not all, but a lot of them can be void of life mm-hmm. and love. And um, it can be a really nice place, but it, it's kind of like a veneer. It's like, well, what's underneath all that? Yeah. And so... I think in order to like have full life, we need intergenerational spaces. Yeah. And so there's this, there's this place in Seattle where they've combined like a preschool and a nursing home. And so the preschoolers like once a day go and like mingle with the elders 
And then so I was thinking that, and then also to take it to another step, there, I don't know where it is in the world, probably um, Switzerland or somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, Switzerland. They've, they've brought, um, like, uh, college kids get, like, a discount for living in these I've facilities. Yes. And to help with the elders. So you could have... I don't know. I'm seeing like preschoolers. I'm seeing elementary. I'm seeing college. I'm seeing. Man, I'd live in a building with elders. Sounds great. Yeah. And I'm seeing like water I fountains. I want to play checkers with them. I want to like yes. pick their brains. Yes. A book club. Yeah. Lots yes. of plants and natural light. Yeah. And I want, you know, in my dream world, each resident, each elder would have like their personal doula. Yeah. You know? Yeah. My friend Amy, who we interviewed last season, she lives in Ogallala, Nebraska, which is a shrinking town of, what was it, like 5,000 or something? I think it was two or three, wasn't it? Like really, really small. But she has said that. She's like, I am friends with people who are 80 and people who are like five. And she's like, it's the coolest experience when you realize how much you are limiting yourself living in a big, how much she was limiting herself living in a big city because she only just went to the places where there were people similar to her. And now she's in this town where there's not very many people similar to her. And so she, Mm -hmm. she has become friends with all of these people outside of her typical spectrum. And yet through that, she's like, we are so similar and you know, you like, you can just like learn and be friends with so many different people. You just, you just, for, you don't even like think about it. Yeah. Yeah. It is cool. That is something about a small town. Cause even where I live now, smaller and one of my past coworkers, I'm a part of her bunko group now. So we play bunko once a month and it's so fun because it's 12 people, but they range from, some in their 20s to some maybe in their 60s, maybe older, I'll say 60s. And we all just get together once a month and we play Bunko together and we shoot the shit. And I don't know, we were at the table this past Monday and even the the silliest things, like we were talking about the show Catfish together and how (laughs) just like the, the experience and the perspective on the show from, you know, someone in their 20s versus someone you know, in their 50s or 60s. And it's just a good, it's a refreshing and good experience to have that I wish we had more opportunities to do. Maybe we will. Yeah, Yeah, or we just make them. Mm -hmm. We just create them. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. In my hometown, so I'm from a smaller town in uh, Mississippi. It's called Vicksburg, Mississippi. And last time I was there, I was at a coffee shop and saw this man. He was probably in his late 70s or early 80s. And um, it was like a school day. And he was surrounded by like all these seventh graders teaching them how to play chess. And he oh it, it opened my, my heart just melted because he doesn't he doesn't charge. He just doesn't he's literally instilling wisdom of chess. And I think chess can be like deep, you know? I mean yeah. it can, it's like the game of life almost. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so he's like just him even being around these kids is instilling wisdom without even having mm-hmm. to teach them anything. Yeah. And so, but he was, these kids were loving it. So cool. Yeah, it was so cool. And he just does it every week. Mm-hmm. So cool. So That's he awesome. still has purpose. I think that part of the 
the problem in like elder loneliness. I mean, loneliness is like the number one oh, yeah. ailment of mm-hmm. our elders mm-hmm. in the society. And is part of that is like they lack a sense of purpose because our society is so set up in like you're only valuable if you're producing, yeah. which is mm-hmm. so not true. Yeah. And so um, I think somehow if we could like figure out a way to help these elder elders feel a sense of purpose. Yeah. Even if even if they're not producing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe just by being. Maybe yeah. that's your purpose of, of being well, and instilling wisdom. Yeah. And it's interesting too because I don't want to have kids. And so I've been grappling. Like one of the reasons that really made me like, oh, maybe I do, is that idea that when I get older, who's going to be there to like hang out with me? <laughs> Which is terrible. Like, you shouldn't have kids for that reason. But, um, I mean, you can. But I didn't want that to be the reason that I would reproduce. And um, and then when I think about, okay, so who do I want to be as I get older then? And um, how do I want to show up? And what do I want to experience? And if it's not my own family who I've deemed has to hang around me you know what am I creating that allows me to have those connections because connections is important that tells me connection is important for me then and so what am I doing to facilitate that to happen yeah (laughs) beautiful connection and community yeah yes um what do you do for fun <laughs> I actually have a lot of fun in my life. I do. Um, I love to dance. Ah. I love to dance and sing. I don't have like a professional singing voice, but you know, car singing. <laughs> you take amateur singers on the podcast if you would like this to be your platform. Uh, I'll pass. <laughs> Any certain style of singing or dancing? Uh, I like to. Well. Uh, my weekly practice, I, I'll go to a static dance, and that's just that? like totally freeform. Girl, you've never been. <gasps> I'm gonna oh go with my you. God, it's I awesome. have to go with you. Yeah, okay, okay. we'll talk about it. <laughs> um, it's just like a freeform conscious movement. Oh it, there's no choreograph. It's not choreographed. If you don't want to dance and you want to sit in the corner and meditate the whole time, you can do that. It's like no judgment. Um, there are quote unquote like not rules. I guess I will say rules, but it's just to keep a safe space. Like nobody's going to come and creep up on you. Like yeah. you'll be at a club, you know? <laughs> Do you talk about those rules before? Yeah. Are they like on the wall? No, oh, we talk about them before. Okay. There's like an opening circle. Okay. And a closing circle. Uh-huh. And then there's the dance in between. And sometimes that you just dance on your own. That's my practice. That's what I like to do. Yeah. I engage with people all day. Aesthetic dance for me is a way to be able to, kind of go inside myself, be in my own body. And then also I'll connect with my partner. He yeah. likes to go sometimes too. Yeah. Um, but really just to be free in my body. Like it gives a space for people to be free. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I have found, so I used to dance around in my living room all the time. And I haven't done it in so long. And when I think about it, I think about what I look like. And I'm like, stop it. Just be like free for I need that. I need that in my life, I think. Yeah, it's basically a bunch of people together dancing like they're in their living room. <laughs> I love I that. Love that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Rachel, yeah, we're adding it to my Dallas list. I, yeah, well, I think there, it's like a whole thing. 
there nationwide. So what city do you live really? in? Really? Yeah. You're in well, LA or no? No, I'm three and a half hours north of LA. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. But you I can create it, Janelle. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it in a vineyard. I'll just go out in the vibe. I mean, there you go. That'd be fun. People will be like, uh, who is this girl and where did she escape from? <laughs> Until they see how much fun you're having and then they'll be like, yeah. I don't, I want to join. Yeah. yeah. All right, I love cool. that. I, for fun, I've been, it just seems interesting to me, but my, my way to have fun is like, I love, I love horror movies. I love things that have to do with like serial killers and like weird, like minds that are just like so fringy. And I had a therapist who was like, I was like, oh, I was just relaxing and watching Mindhunter. And she's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's not, or, or I'll say like our handsmaid's tale. She's like, that's not relaxing. And I was like, it's relaxing for me. I don't know why. And so I think Such a good I know. I just, I, I mean, yes, there's a part of me that's like, turn off and you entertain me. But I get a lot out of the invitation to consider alternate realities I think alternate ways of modeling behavior ways that could be and what my discernment in that is and yeah like I just watched one on um, Charles Manson it was a documentary or it was like a movie recreated based off the three girls that were arrested from the murders and it's just so fascinating to me how like some of the words that you hear are like, they actually have parallels to the words we hear in self-help communities and just your intention behind it, how that can actually manifest totally different. And you know, what gets one person, I don't know. It's just so fascinating to me. And yeah. Do you have a specific example? Not to put you on the spot, but I'm curious. Is there one that you can think of? I mean, a majority of the, the, so like in the at least the movie that I was watching, he was talking about just like society expects you to be this certain way and you're actually being trapped in it. And so, you know, when you can come from a place of actually loving somebody and not identifying them as wounded or fucked up or whatever, the acceptance and the love that expands from there allows for freedom. And like these words, I was just like... Charles Manson said that? Yes. At least in the movie <laughs> wow. he did. And so I was just like, I like, mean, whoa. that's something I would say. <laughs> I was just like... <laughs> and so then I'm like sitting there, I'm like, hmm, that's so crazy. That's so fascinating. And then, you know, as it progresses, obviously you can see the point with which his ego takes over. Um, but it, the intentionality is so interesting. So yeah, I I don't really know where I'm going with it, except that I am, I have fun being open to like not absolute rejection of people and things and really allowing myself to be curious about what's behind it and what's there. And I guess maybe that means I maybe have a superpower of, of compassion because I think it requires a lot of compassion to be open to considering somebody else's mental mental approach or whatnot when they're doing something that har- like that ultimately harms somebody else, which I don't agree with. But it is just very fascinating. Like I was born into this body, but 
what if I had been born into that body? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. It takes a lot of courage too. Yeah. You know, it's not easy to be able to look at the quote unquote dark. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, you know, through being able to face darkness with maybe a sense of like curiosity and openness rather than like closed offness. Yeah. That it can like really be a really powerful yeah. practice or, you know, experience. Yeah. Of- I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to do more with shadow work because it keeps coming up. Yeah. Um, also, my tea bag this morning said to me, he who wants a rose must respect the thorn. So. <laughs> I cannot believe that. My partner, Adam, yeah. he always gets that. And we no way. Joke, we joke because my last name is Thornton. And my grandmother's first name was Rose. So her name was Rose no Thornton. No way. And I get thorns sometimes. Like I'm a Scorpio, like kind of full and through. And sometimes a stinger will come out, like get a little sticky. <laughs> So, sorry, not to make it about me, but I think that's hilarious because it's like an ongoing joke in our house. I've never heard that one before today, and I really liked it. I was like, it's like an honoring. Like, you have to honor, you have to honor that part. Otherwise, you don't get to experience. Yep. Is it bad that my mind just went to The Bachelor? I'm like, (laughs) that's what Dylan did. That's what Dylan did too. He was like, oh, Chris Harrison would love that. I was like, oh my gosh. Where's Chris at? Chris, we got, a new, we got a new line for you. <laughs> I think that you and uh, Dylan might secretly be really good friends, Janelle. We probably would be. I, you know, the sad part is I've never really met Dylan. I, that's insane. Actually, which is crazy. Well, when you visit, we'll try to do it at a time when he's not traveling because he's been traveling like crazy. And then you'll have to hang out with him because that's how every he's kind of an elusive guy. And even the fact that I'm talking about him right now, he'd be like, don't tell them where I am. (laughs) Um, But everybody who meets him, it's the same thing. They'll be like, we know about him through you, but I've never actually like sat with him. And then they will. And they'll be like, he's amazing. I'm like, I know. Need to meet the guy. Yeah. Him and Chris Harrison. We'll just all get in a room together. I know. We'll we'll have to triangulate when Chris Harrison's going to be at his bar. Yes. Chris Harrison's bar is like right down the street. He has a bar? Uh Uh-huh. It's called Steam Theory Brewing. I looked it up. We should get sponsored. Chris Harrison's Uh sponsored. It's like literally who walked it. Does he live here? (laughs) I don't think so. It's interesting. I know. We, (laughs) I never watched The Bachelor or Bachelorette before Janelle. And then she was like, you have to watch it. And I was like, it's so stupid. And then one night I like watched it and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. (laughs) And and so then I, Dylan would be like, I'm not going to watch this. And then he'd be in the kitchen like doing something and he'd be like, Wait, what was is that guy's name? And then I was just like, mm-hmm, get over here and sit it pulls down. You yeah. in. <laughs> it pulls you in. And so then at the we found out that Chris Harrison's bar was doing like a bachelorette. Oh yeah, it was bachelorette last time. So a bachelorette viewing party for like the final two episodes. And so we went to one of them and um I was like, I can't believe that you wanted to come with me, Dylan. And he's like, oh, we're making a bracket next for the next one. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> I was <just> like, okay. <laughs> but it was so funny. Full spectrum. Full spectrum. Full spectrum. I love that we've started this conversation. We've gone to the depths of death. And now we're talking about The Bachelorette. Pretty much. You know, it always comes back to The Bachelorette. I always ruin it. We're, you're like trying to share this inspirational quote. And I'm like, The Bachelor. <laughs> You know what, though? I always told people for a really long time, I didn't feel like people understood me. And I how I would relate 
I'd be like, I just want somebody who can talk to me about death and fart jokes. And literally, I think that that's the embodiment of this conversation. And I'm really happy about it. <laughs> so we'll close with everyone's favorite fart joke. <laughs> last night, uh, we recorded one last night and Janelle's intro was, um, I like to fart in public and blame it on kids. <laughs> I was like, where the fuck do you come up with this stuff? And then mine's like, I eat Cheerios straight from the box. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, what is happening? Okay. I feel like I didn't elaborate that on that yesterday. I only do, <laughs> I only really do it on airplanes. That's way worse. I know. But <laughs> where the air can't go yeah. anywhere. And you suffer. Oh you actually suffer in that scenario. Well, because I Oh my God, I'm crying. Okay. <laughs> I normally don't do that, but only if the kid is really annoying next to me. So then, do, you, then audi- do you audibly say, like, look, this kid over here tooting? <laughs> like- <laughs> no, I just assume everyone's going to think it's a kid at all. It's an internal thing. I have a friend, one of my best friends from college, claims that when I'm around, her farts smell way worse. And honestly, it's actually true. Like we would go out to bars and she can, she could clear a bar. It was just like someone threw a stink bomb and she'd be like, this never happens until you're here. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It's your fault. Oh, it's so crazy. There you go. Death and fart jokes. Death and fart jokes. We did it. My life is complete. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that was really a joke, but... <laughs> well, whatever. We're laughing. Yes. So, the, my favorite question, how do you like to live your true north, not how do you like to? If you could sum up living your true north in one word, what would that word be? Presence. Hmm. I love that. How do you practice presence? Uh, how do I practice presence? By... Feeling, connecting to my breath, feeling my body, feeling the earth beneath me, the sky above me, connecting into my heart. Yeah. Um, making a space to where all the chaotic thoughts in my mind might be able to settle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the true north I find can be more, for me, it's like accessible in the present and for everybody, I'm sure. I mean, that's where we find our. Um, where we connect to our power and our authenticity. And I think oftentimes our minds can like make things overly confusing. And so it's like, well, what direction am I going to go in? <laughs> and our minds will be being like, go north, south, east, and west. All of them are good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just presence. Yeah, I like that. I, for m- much of my life, I was didn't not in those words but I was trying to figure out like who am I what does it mean to be me and I was trying to have a set of things um you know whether it was personality traits or you know physical you know how I present myself or what I do and the more that I've been in this and the more we've been having these conversations um true north living your true north is like a state of mind and it's not necessarily a set of circumstances it's being able to show up where you are seeing it as it is and choosing who you want to be in that moment and there is a ton of presence in that um yeah thank you for sharing 
Is there anything else you wanted to ask, Janelle? I think that is it. This is such a cool conversation. It really is. I really appreciate what you're doing in the world and for taking your morning with us and answering all of our questions and sharing all of your heart. So thank you. Well, I appreciate yes, having a place you. to put it. Yeah. So thank you for having a place <laughs> to be able to put it Yeah. and to be able to communicate. Yeah. And as you yeah. were going to the ecstatic dance, it's ecstatic, right? Ecstatic. E-C-S-T-I-T-I-C. Not what not especially <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Um, <laughs> and if as you continue to bring to life um whatever the essence and the form of the connection between elders and their wisdom and the rest of society and connection i would love to know what you're up to and yes. be able to support it um so just please keep me in mind I will Thank stay you. connected. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how can they best do that? Um, you can go to my website. It's www.starana.com. That's spelled S-T-A-R-A-N-A. Um, and then my email is danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E, at starana.com. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Happy this Friday the 13th. Yeah. Everyone have a goddess Friday I know. 13th. Goddess inspired Friday the 13th. I'm going to. I Go howl at that moon. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. If you liked this podcast, rate us, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Otherwise, until next time. <laughs>